Hello to all of our quality-minded listeners and a special shout out to our Mayo Clinic Care Network members. Welcome to Key into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability trends and solutions. This podcast aims to help you take some of the first steps towards understanding and improving quality challenges in your organization. So thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Dr. Timothy Morgenthaler. I'm a professor of medicine here at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and I'm the vice chair of Mayo Clinic Quality and Affordability. Co-hosting with me today is Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Welcome everyone joining us today for this conversation. I'm Sherry Nemec, the Consultation and Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic, and I'm looking forward to talking with our guest today. You know, Sherry, a decade ago, you may remember our Chief Quality Officer, who was then Dr. Steve Swenson. He wrote, work to improve quality at a healthcare institution can be a transformational lever, one that brings colleagues together on the common ground that attracted most of us to the profession. This common ground is the firm spot on which we stand together with Archimedes lever. And that's the end of the quote. I always love that he brought in uh, that kind of imagery because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the real bedrock truths that we build that firm spot on is that improving quality is our work. It's not just an add-on. And, and to make this really happen at our organization, we really recognize the need to ensure that everyone at the organization was part of that quality improvement, not just somebody over in the quality department, right? Uh, not just some leaders or administrators, not just some clinical folks, but all of us working together. And so we've realized for a long time that this healthcare quality improvement is a scientifically driven team effort and that everyone on the team needs to be able to contribute. So that really meant when we started working at this in earnest, uh, need to upgrade a lot of people's skills and, and knowledge. And so that brought about the formation of what we called the Quality Academy. And that was really going to be a place to kind of house some of the teachers of quality improvement skills. They built a program that was called the Quality Fellows Program which uh, designated three different levels of quality improvement achievement, if you will. There was the bronze level, which uh, the curriculum was really designed for everyone in the organization, make sure everybody could become familiar with quality improvement as that integral part of our job, Mm -hmm. safety as a primary value, some sort of basic improvement concepts. I'll bet in your section, Sherry, you all got the bronze treatment, right? I certainly did. Yeah, and then there was the silver level curriculum, which included a lot more advanced skills, And really obtaining a silver quality fellow certification meant that you had not just some general knowledge, but you'd participated in and probably led a quality improvement team project. And we really aspired to have most of our leaders at whatever level of the organization, let's try for a silver level quality fellow certification. And then the gold level graduates really had participated or led improvement projects that were not just local, not just at their unit or their hospital, but maybe across our entire health system. And then in the more recent years, they added a, a diamond quality fellow, which was awarded to these quality leaders who had not just led projects and some very important projects, but they'd actually published and presented the improvement work, contributed to the international knowledge of quality. So anyway, enough of that story. I'm really excited today to have someone with us who is one of those faculty in the Quality Academy and who herself is a diamond quality fellow. She's certified in change management and performance management instructor. She's had extensive quality improvement training, as you might imagine. Her name is Carmen. I'm going to introduce you fully to her in just a moment. But Carmen also holds an academic appointment, the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine's Health Systems Engineering Program as an assistant professor. That's a mouthful for me. So anyway, (laughs) Carmen Kane, I want to pick your brain about how you think about teaching and doing quality improvement. But before we do that, 
you joined Mayo Clinic a long time ago. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you got to Mayo Clinic and what types of roles have you had before the one you're in now? Sure. It has been a long time, 43 years to be exact. Wow. So I've been at Mayo since 1978. And in fact, I actually did my internship here when I first graduated with a two-year medical laboratory technology degree. Of course, since have gone back and gotten several additional degrees. But through the years, I started out in laboratory medicine. I was in lab medicine for 23 years. And during that tenure, that's really when Mayo Clinic started its formal quality improvement journey. And we started in 1993 with training from the Duran Institute. So that's uh-huh. when I was tapped on the shoulder to be one of the first 20 trained Duran facilitators. So that's how my journey began. Since then, you can imagine, I have facilitated and led hundreds, many hundreds of quality (laughs) improvement projects and teams. My journey took me from lab medicine to finance. I don't know anything about finance, but I do know about quality improvement. And that's what I did. I was there for 10 years. And after that, I joined what is now called management engineering and consulting and facilitated and that's when I started with the Quality Academy. Carmen, as I'm listening to you describe your story, now maybe I'm oversimplifying, but it sounds like you've had a lot of different roles in terms of what were you doing in the healthcare arena, but Mm -hmm. really it sounds like your passion has been quality improvement. If there's something that you can improve the quality of, they'll kind of get you hooked up with it and bam, it starts getting improved. (laughs) Do I have that kind of right? Well, I have always been interested in quality improvement. That's true, even before we knew what it was, because, again, we didn't start really formally doing quality improvement at Mayo Clinic until 1993. Before then, if there was an error occurred because of a process problem, we put in quality band-aids. We didn't change the process. What we did was we added a check or we added inspection and there were layer and layer and layer upon that kind of activity. Mm. In fact, what happened to me very early on in, in lab medicine, I actually got in trouble for doing too much work. And oh, no. I, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, I didn't do it intentionally, but what had happened was I have always had this big picture of process and, and how we could improve things. And I had streamlined what we were doing, what I was doing anyway. And I was able to produce about three times wow. what the other technicians were doing. And they didn't think I could do that and still maintain my quality. So something had to be wrong. Luckily, my administrator stepped in and said, no, you, she can't be in trouble for that. We really need to figure out what she's doing so that we could maybe do this elsewhere. And so eventually then in 1993, that's when I got tapped in the Department of Lab Medicine to be in the first Duran session to be a facilitator. You know, you tapped into something so important just in what you said there. And you are right. You know, so often the easy but not necessarily smart solution to errors Mm -hmm. is to put double checks and triple checks and ways that I'm going to catch the errors. And really what you're talking about, and I would say you were pretty much ahead of your time in a lot of ways, 
was, hey, let's design to do it right the first time instead Correct. so that we don't, let's, let's error proof it. Wow. That's a really powerful concept. So yes. I, I just wanted to point that out. Sherry, you, you had a question you wanted to ask. Yeah, thanks. I, you know, I was just thinking about where we started and the idea of, you know, the different levels with bronze and silver and so on that we do at Mayo Clinic. And really that bronze piece is about staff inspiration and engagement, igniting that passion. So why do you think all healthcare staff should think about or be involved in quality improvement? As Dr. Morgenthaler said, quality improvement really is all of our jobs, uh, As doc, and he alluded to Dr. Steve Swenson, and he used to tell us all the time, we all have two jobs to do at Mayo Clinic, and in fact, that's true throughout healthcare. We need to do our job, and we need to improve the work that we do. Every single employee at Mayo Clinic's core competency is quality improvement, and so we really do have to think about that. But if you tie that to the purpose why everybody's here, our primary value, the needs of the patient come first. We really need to figure out how all of our processes, whether we are direct patient care or not direct patient care, how those relate to our patients and our other customers and how we can continuously improve what we are doing in order to serve those patients and customers better and ensure that those processes truly are patient and customer centered. And then another value that we tap into a lot to try and engage people on quality and quality improvement is teamwork, another of our core values. Working in multidisciplinary teams is essential to quality improvement work. We really have to get the right people on the bus, if you will get those who are involved in the process from start to end to make sure that everybody is represented and everybody knows the process. Most processes in healthcare are really complex and we can't expect people to fix them who aren't involved and don't know about all the various steps in the process. So that really is the secret of getting the right people at the table and getting the right people to do the work. A story from pretty far back in my quality improvement journey, I was facilitating a team where we had folks who had never met. They were from very disparate parts of the organization. In fact, it was how to generate bills in accounting for facilities projects. So you can imagine we had a facilities manager who actually did say to an accounts payable person, wow, you really do exist. I thought you were just, <laughs> there was just a bunch of rules in place to make our lives miserable. So again, that multidisciplinary, getting everybody together, getting everybody on the same page, working towards the same goal. And that's really a great way to get folks engaged in quality improvement. Quality improvement, you know, as I've seen it at Mayo and at other healthcare facilities, you know, it can be something as small as uh, located in your office to something that is as hugely variable as going across 22 hospitals and 70 clinics. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that. You know, how do you tell people about scale and how to approach things? And scope, yeah. 
you can do quality improvement at every single level. And most folks think about quality improvement really at the local level, that we're working on small problems, small issues, and that is a wonderful way to address problems in a work unit or in a division, department, section, et cetera. Of course, what you do, just like you would for any size project, is you first always start with the problem that needs to be addressed. So what problem is that? Is it that we're going to try and fix? And then, of course, we form that multidisciplinary team. The thing about that, though, is you can fix those problems at the local level. But two things are really key. One is that we need to build in control so that <laughs> when we're done, because we're all human, we want to fix it, we want to move on, yay, we did it. But if we don't operationalize it, it may not stick. The other thing is those small local problems are small and local to other people too. So it really is our job not just to fix it, but to really share that new knowledge, to share that new best practice, diffuse and disseminate that so that people either internally or externally really can benefit from that so that people don't have to reinvent the wheel. And we really can do small, small, small changes, but really impact a lot within and outside of the organization. At the opposite end of that, of course, are the huge, large projects that can be enterprise, organization-wide. We generally refer to those as collaboratives. So we can do that with a single topic. An example is recently, well, in the last two years, we did a C. diff, a Clostridium difficile project across the enterprise because that was an issue that we needed to face. And we had seven teams in seven different locations, and they were all trying to reduce their CDEF rates and use the same structure, use the same education. And through learning sessions, face-to-face and virtual, they were able to share their knowledge. And just like I talked about with the small teams, they were able to build on each other's ideas and momentum and things like that. And it was very, very successful. So the same tools and methods can be used, whether it's a local small unit or desk problem that we're trying to address, or a huge, huge organizational level. So Carmen, I have a quick quick question about, well, culture is never a quick question, about organizational (laughs) culture. (laughs) Culture is never a quick question. No, no, very complicated. (laughs) Uh, But as you reflect over your uh, work and time and quality at Mayo Clinic, how do you build a culture of quality improvement? Yeah, we've already touched on some of that, but it really is important so that every single person really does realize that quality improvement isn't a department. It isn't somebody who's going to come in and do that for us, that it really is every one of our roles. So as Dr. Morgenthaler alluded to, our recent endeavor, our four levels, the one that we really start to try and build the culture is through bronze, which is the language, we call it the language of quality. So we're trying to get everyone to speak the same language around quality. And that has been very successful. Our goal, of course, is to get everybody across all campuses and all sites to have taken the bronze. And we're really getting there. We're, we're nearing the 70% mark. So our language is building. Our language is on the roll. But then it's that next step of 
how do we really engage them to do that quality improvement? So it is what we have called in the Quality Academy, teaching them to fish. Sure. Because quite honestly, there are four of us, <laughs> four quality improvement advisors for 70,000 employees. That is what we're trying to do is teach people to fish. So it's the tools and the methods around quality improvement. So we provide education. Uh, recently, that education has been virtual, some virtual, some online. And before that, of course, it was face-to-face. -face. And our resources, we have a, a plethora of tools and templates and resources that are online for folks. We also have a volunteer faculty, and we have quality champions who are throughout the organization that really help us to build on that as well. So through that coaching through that support, really key is reinforcement. So how do we make people see the impact of quality improvement? And we've done that through various mechanisms. We tell the stories, we have quality improvement grand rounds. We publish stories in our newsletter. We always try and, and get folks to share their own stories because storytelling is really, really impactful. It's also very reinforcing for those who have done the quality improvement, but it's engaging for those who haven't. So they can say, oh gosh, you know, we could do that. I could do that. And then that certification. And that's another form of recognition. People don't necessarily do the certification to have a pin on their lapel, although we do give pins for lapels. <laughs> but it really is the recognition of the knowledge and skill that they've achieved. And we, again, try and share the projects that they do through the various levels of certification as far and wide as we possibly can. So eventually that story that you hear or the language that you hear, when you know that the culture is really taking hold, you hear things. And I've heard things like at meetings when somebody says, well, you know, we really should first figure out who our stakeholders are. Exactly. Or, yeah. Exactly. Or that, that, this... That's what I love is when you're at a meeting and somebody, you know, says, hey, let's go to that toolkit page and download the stakeholder matrix, or let's do an impact grid, or let's do mm -hmm. a process map, and you go, okay, we're arriving here. This is awesome. Yes. yes. Yeah. It just kind of goes, oh, yeah. Woo. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think many people have probably heard this story, but uh, this is another story. You know, you talk about stories where you see the quality improvement viewpoint come out. I heard this story at one point of a housekeeper at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. They happened to be a, a film crew on the site doing a documentary mm -hmm. about patient safety. And, and they were interviewing this person. And when they asked her, well, what do you do for the organization? Her response, I think, surprised maybe everybody a little bit because she turned to them and said, well, my job is to save lives. Mm -hmm. And then she went on to explain to them that keeping the hospital clean and safe really helped make things safe for patients. And then this is what stuck in my mind. She said, well, her team had developed a checklist of all the important surfaces in each room to be sanitized as they prepared a room for the next patient. See, there's that quality improvement mindset, methodology, connection to values. We're here for the patient. We can improve this. And oh, here's a tool. I remember hearing about the tool of the checklist. And so, you know, they did this not because somebody asked them to do it. They did this because, hey, that's our job mm -hmm. is to improve. And I just love mm -hmm. that. 
Mm-hmm. Carmen, we could have another one of these sessions. You're really fun <laughs> to talk about. We could talk all day to Carmen, I think. <laughs> your, uh, your enthusiasm for quality improvement and just for the overall mission is really infectious. Nothing that has to be controlled. <laughs> so, so thank you for helping to create that quality culture at Mayo Clinic and for your many years of teaching and using words when necessary, because I know you've been a leader by example, but really demonstrating what it's like to be part of a team that's you know constructively dissatisfied, always pushing from good to better. And, and I just really thank you for that. For our listeners, I have to tell you, we've come to the end of our podcast. We're glad you could join us and hope that the information provided insight and value. Again, you know, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. The development of this podcast is part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations that are striving to improve. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations we all serve. Please let us know if you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, let others in your organization know about it so that the information can be spread and shared. Until next time, bye-bye.